Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I have been admiring the person's thinking that I'm about to speak to, and she was on the show many years ago, and it is my fault for the lacuna that has resulted one of the uh, one of the fine minds in the United States. She is a social critic, professor of humanities and media studies at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and she is what I rely on for civilization to continue. She doesn't go with the herd. I speak about the herd pretty often. Uh, she herself uh, is a lesbian and a feminist. And she has uh, thoughts and ideas and expresses them uh, that infuriate her other people who should be her allies, as it were. She is Camille Paglia. And uh, Camille, it is a pleasure to have you on the Dennis Prager Show again. Well, thank you for welcoming me. Uh, Dennis, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, the The thing that has spurred me was finally to say why why haven't I had her on more often was the interview with you the Saturday interview they feature somebody you were featured in the uh, Wall Street Journal the last weekend of December which is very just 10 days ago or so and I'd like to uh, go over a few things with you but I'm going to challenge you on one I I don't know if challenge is the right word I I want to get your thoughts on something that I I didn't happen to see in the interview and then we'll go to those ideas because you are such a thoughtful person I I want to I want to pose this to you Uh, the the wife of the newly elected mayor of New York City announced that she was a lesbian in the 1970s. Announced it. I mean, she was an activist. And then in the 1990s announced, again, I met the love of my life and it turns out to be a male. What, how do you explain her? Well, from my point of view, sexuality is very fluid. Sexual orientation can change according to circumstance. It is an absolute canard, as I said in the Wall Street Journal interview, that you're born gay. This is, there is absolutely not a shred of evidence for that. I I do believe that um, you're born with certain traits that at a certain period in a certain society may may make you trend toward um, a, a, you know a homosexual choice, but uh, it's uh, to me homosexuality is an adaptation. It is certainly not an inborn trait. So I'm delighted, okay, with this new visibility of uh, you know such a, a perfect illustration of the fluidity I've always said is there. So how how do you look at your own life? Are we what were you born? Oh, well, you see, I, I, if I had been born in Italy, uh, you know, where my, all of my grandparents were born, my mother was born there and so on, if, I had, if, if this were 200 years ago in the Italian countryside, I would have married and had children, I'm sure, or I would have been a nun, okay? <laughs> so, but I probably would have fought bitterly with, you know, with, um, with everyone around me. I, I have an independent way of thinking. It would have been very difficult in a, in a small uh, you know, country town. Um, but 
but I was born with a, a certain kind of aggressive energy, and I did not fit in with 1950s girl culture. I, I was absolutely miserable in it, and I telegraphed my opposition and my rebellion by my then very heterodox Halloween costumes. I, I was, I was, as a small child, okay, in elementary school, I was the, the, the Toreador from Carmen. I, I was Napoleon. I was a Roman soldier. I was Hamlet. I got that from classic you know, comic books and so on. Nobody was doing that at that time. So I definitely had a kind of uh, what today would be called a gender dysfunction. But it, it came from the fact that I was born at the wrong time. I wanted to wear pants. I wanted to fight. I, wanted to, I, lo- I loved rough play. Everything about me uh, at the time said I was not a real girl. So I, I, I think you know, um, that today there are so many other ways for young women to express themselves. There's, there's, there's not that, that dress code. I mean, I had to dress in, in, in you know, with, a, with white gloves and stockings and a hat to go to church every, every weekend. I hated it. I, I felt that I was in prison. Um, so I, 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 can, I clearly see that the roots of my particular swerve from gender came from the moment I was born in the 1950s. But it made me who I am. It made me this, this look warrior. Right. So doesn't that in some way contravene your earlier statement that you're not born that no one is born gay. No one is, every single gay person I know has some sort of drama going on in you know, back in childhood you know, some some something was happening that we're not allowed to ask about anymore. Any any inquiry into a possible family basis or early was, basis. Do you feel there was a family basis for well, you, your being gay? I, I can see patterns, okay? I can see patterns that are similar in my background to that of other women I know who are lesbians. But, but the biggest pattern to me is in, in gay men. Every single gay man I know had a particular pattern where, for whatever reason, okay, the, um, he, he was closer to his mother than to his father, and there was some sort of distance between the mother and the father so that so that she looked to her son as her real um, equal or friend, um, the real companion of her soul, and I, I, in, I, in some in some cases, these sometimes sometimes these women were were discreet and uh, dignified in their comportment. At other times, they're very theatrical, and in a sense, they drafted their son in, into their own drama. Now, you are not allowed to ask any questions right. about the childhood of, of, of gay people anymore. It's called homophobic. That's the entire uh, psychology establishment, okay, has shut itself down politically, and and also Freud. Oh, Freud was kicked out, okay, by early feminism, okay, in, in, in late 60s and early 70s. So the, all the sophistication of analysis that I knew in my college years, coming from my, from, there were a lot, where I went to university, State University of New York at Binghamton, there were a lot of, of radical young Jewish students from the New York area, okay, and oh, they were so psychologically sophisticated in being able to analyze their, the family background. Okay? It's all gone. That entire discourse is gone. Everything is political now. You, 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 people, families are bankrupting themselves, okay? sending their kids to the elite schools to learn a political style of analysis. Every single thing of the human person has been, has been formed by some external force on us. We are oppressed. Okay? It's, it's being inscribed on us. It is really sick. It's a sick and stupid way of 
of looking at human psychology, and this is why the art and culture of our time is flattening out. Okay, there's nothing to to, to learn from movies anymore. Okay, from from books. Okay, from from New York journalists. Okay, from from TV shows. Okay, compared to the incredible quality of of even Hollywood, you know, filmmaking in the past. Okay, so we're at a period now of of psychological stupidity. <coughs> wow, you choked. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> you see, uh, we we agree on virtually everything, mm-hmm. but it, it ha- you have more credibility because you're gay and you're female. Mm-hmm. See, and this is something that uh, is another thing of, uh, if, uh, and I'm curious if you would allow me to use the word left. This is another uh, uh, legacy of the left in our time is that it is not what you say but who said it? Shakespeare was a white male. The mm-hmm. people who wrote the Constitution were wealthy white males. Mm-hmm. So uh, a man can't talk about abortion because he doesn't get pregnant. There is no longer a, a, a discourse on ideas. There is a deconstruction of the idea to the who is making the idea. Exactly. Yes. It, it, and, uh, people um, are no longer respected as individuals either. You're, yeah, you're, exactly. You're, 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 you're a member of a group. A group. Yeah. Okay? It's a collectivist way of, of you know, analyzing society. It's, it's completely the opposite of the kind of, um, you, the, you know, the 60s counterculture okay, that, I, that I was educated during in the 1960s. There's been a turn away from the actual individual-centered uh, leftism of the, of the 1960s, as well as the free speech imper- imperative you know, that began the whole uh, 60s movement at Berkeley. Yeah, well, there the, the was free speech for them. <laughs> that, that, that's what I what I think uh, has turned out. Oh, boy, is there a book you would like us uh, to feature of yours? Because you've written six. Well, Glittering Images is my latest. It's, it's, it's intended for a general audience, a, a little survey of the whole history of art in a very slim form. I'd like to talk to you about what's happened to art. We're going to continue on the gay issue and much more what you believe has happened to masculinity. I mean, she is a courageous person. And that, uh, I've always said, there are many fine traits, kindness, honesty, loyalty, but the rarest of the good traits is courage. Camille Paglia has that. And her book, latest book, is Glittering Images. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. You're listening to The Dennis Prager Show, a fiercely independent thinker, Camille Paglia. She herself, a lesbian and feminist, and yet a tremendous critic of the world that you associate with those two labels. She's a professor of humanities and media studies at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. What's your uh, position on same-sex marriage? Well, I always um, wanted civil unions rather than marriage. I feel, and I, and I also want government out of the marriage declaring business. I thought that the you know the truly progressive way to go was to um, to have civil unions where where gay couples would have exactly the same benefits as are guaranteed to um, heterosexual couples. But the you know the word marriage itself is such an inflammatory term. I, I think it's been counterproductive for the um, gay movement in some ways. But I, I you know I, I I also however you know see. 
that there is no impediment to, um, to, to two people of any sex uh, declaring their bond to each other. I think that society benefits from that in the, in the long run. However, I'm also you know, somewhat skeptical about how many gay men view the marriage bond. I mean, sort of like, you know, let's get married, but let's also be able to go off on the side and pick, you know, pick up guys on the street. And that was actually forth. reported in the New York Times that yes. about half of the married, married, which is very small minority of gay men who are married, but even of the married gay men, half have open marriages. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's the sophisticated norm, I would think. In, in, in yeah, because that's, that's male ma- homosexuality. Well, that's male nature. Women keep yes. us monogamous. Yes, so if there's yes. no woman there, yes. then why would a man be monogamous? Y- yes, you see, because the going outside the bond is considered, uh, in lesbian relationships, is considered a, a massive betrayal. Right. But there, there are many problems also in the, in the lesbian world that have to do with um, endless emotional drama and not you know a, a new relationship beginning when the, not, the other one isn't really broken off. I mean, there's all kinds of strange forces and even pathologies going on, it seems to me, you know, in gay relationships that you're not allowed ever to talk about anymore. Right? And therefore, you have all these, like, you know, young girls who are, like, uh, in college who think it's all so chic and hip, and we have, like, Rihanna and, and you know, and, and Miley Cyrus and, and you know, everybody, uh, you know, even, even, you know, Katy Perry um, thinking, that, oh, the lesbian world is so fun. No, it's not fun. Okay, there's, there's a lot of very heavy stuff going on in it, okay, that, that needs analysis, it needs airing, it, it needs a light, but no one is willing to do it. The entire mainstream media, you know, is in um, lockstep with, with gay activists. And so this, you know, this recent Duck Dynasty flap with A&E may have finally turned the corner on the kind of, you know, fascist tactics of, of um, gay activists. In, in shutting there, down there, the there is no fascist tactics like the gay left. Uh, oh, oh, my God. Never in my life have I ever encountered, okay, more implacable, vicious people okay, right. than yep. gay activists that I encountered in the 90s, okay? I have seen eyes cold and dead like nihilists, okay, in Tsarist Russia. That's that. I mean, they, these are the people, they are absolutely beyond any reason or appeal. They, they believe that their agenda is the agenda. It, it, it surmounts everything. And, and it is know. okay to destroy Yes, destroy. People. Yes, they, and they try to destroy me. They try to destroy me, who had been, I, I had been openly gay before, before the Stonewall Rebellion. I was the only openly gay person at the Yale Graduate School, okay, 1968 to 72. And I didn't even have a sex life, okay? I, I, I was out there. I felt it was important, okay? Okay, to 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 make that you know statement at the time, and and when I came on the scene, okay, my my whatever I was saying, they did not conform to to what these like narrow little small-minded activists you know thought was right, and they, they did everything in their power to destroy me through through the Village Voice, for example, which I had read as my Bible, okay, in the 1960s and early 70s. I subscribed to it. I'm a product of the Village Voice. By the time my first book was published in 1990, the Village Voice no longer recognized its own project. It was already uh, t- turned into a you know, Stalinist Politburo kind of an uh, of a, you know of an enclave, and, and that's what happened to the left. Okay, the the, the left. I I endorse you know the 1960s. It's what happened after the 1960s. This turn okay toward the suppression of speech, toward the you know the shutting down of the inquiring mind. I mean, it, it, and you know what what what, the, what students are getting, uh, you know, at, at the elite schools, the, the politicized education. Okay, it, it's a travesty. Parents have no idea, okay, how their, their, their kids are being indoctrinated at the elite schools. 
that's correct. But I think it was. I think the '60s did give birth to it. When when people chanted "Hey, hey, LBJ," how many babies did you kill today? What that allowed for was those we oppose are evil, and that is essential to the left wing Weltanschauung. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Do you know there's a very interesting film, you know, Berkeley in the 1960s, which shows what happened. Okay, how all of the high ideals of the uh, 1960s began to go, you know, kind of go off the rails. Uh, and it shows the, the quarrels that went on between different wings of the progressive movement. I, I think it's very instructive. Uh, and, and, yeah, uh, there was an almost immediate breakdown. By the time we get to the 1970s, we're already into identity politics and, in, you know, on the college campuses, the creation of women's studies programs uh, consisting of nothing but ideologues with no reference to biology, no, no reference to history or anthropology, just a political agenda. And then, and then later on comes, you know, comes queer theory and, and gay studies, um, which is equally insular, you know, at the present time. Yes. Your uh, interview in the Wall Street Journal makes reference to the fact that you and, and as it were, an ex-partner uh, have a son. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. He's 11. Right. Now, what, what do you think of those of us who think that the ideal is to have a mother and father? Well, I, I, in my point, from my point of view, okay, as just as a student of history, the nuclear family is a relatively recent appearance, okay, uh, in in human ex- human experience. It's mostly the extended family, okay, the the tribal unit that that raised children. Um, and in fact, that's you know, it's almost a little bit how I was raised. This enormous you know, clan uh, of Italian immigrants in in um, the north side of Endicott, New York. Uh, and, the, and yes, one had two, had two parents, but but they they too were part of this gigantic unit. Okay, uh, so I, I you know I'm not so sure you know that, that there aren't pathologies also in the isolated nuclear family in a middle class home in the suburbs. There are all kinds of problems that I, including you know anorexia. I I think it could be one of them. Naomi Wolf was always complaining about it. All right, but but it, the, 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 to to expect two individuals. To be the sum total, okay, of your introduction to to human life is is it may be a kind of illusion. It, it needs examination. Okay, so I, you know, for, for me, actually, the extended family is the ideal family where you have in in, in Italy, for example, one house, you know, would have the the, the grandparents, the great grandparents, okay, your, your parents, aunts and uncles and cousins, and so on. Okay, that, that, it's a way of living that I think is probably the ideal. Right, so you're saying that your son is being raised by an extended family? No, no. Alas, okay, in, in, our, in modern times, the, the family is extremely scattered. And I think that that's terrible, okay? The, 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 we're, we live in a very transient well, society. But that, that liberty, this is what people have chosen. And you know, I still want to investigate this issue. We'll be back in a moment with the extraordinary Camille Pagliano. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Dennis Prager Show. I'm speaking to someone I have immense admiration for, Camille Paglia. She's a professor of humanities and media studies at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Her latest book is about art, and I have every intention of reading it. And uh, to tell us again the name? Glittering Images. A, a, it's a journey through art from Egypt to Star Wars. Wow. Oh. 
Well, and, and it's done, I presume, with your insights. That's the reason that I think it's so important. And I want to talk to you about art in a moment, but I want to get back to this very difficult issue where we may have one of our few differences. And for those uh, tuning in, among other things, and it's relevant to this, normally uh, I don't think it should be relevant, but it is. In this case, uh, she is a lesbian and a feminist. And uh, we talk, you have a child, you have a son, and uh, I asked you, do you think it's best if a child has a father and mother? And you spoke about how we have departed from an ideal of the extended family. And you spoke about your own background a generation or two back in rural Italy where you had all the aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents living essentially together. But America wasn't founded on that. America was founded on individualism. And that we, we ran this terrific uh, uh, sort of a middle road. Uh, between only the individual, because family has always been central, but you forge your own life, and you don't necessarily live with just relatives. So in light of that, whether it's good or bad is is not my question. The fact is, overwhelmingly, we don't live with aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents. In light of that, do you think that a boy needs a father and mother or a girl needs a father and mother? Well, um, in my son's case, it's great that we have his um, grandfather living relatively near, and he's provided a very strong, um, you know, masculine role model. But I think it's bigger to me, Dennis, than than the you know, individual father in the home is the is what is what's happened to the culture in the disappearance of of you know of appropriate role models of masculinity and of and of one's exclusive areas of masculine action and achievement as we've moved from an, an, you know, in a, a manufacturing economy and an agrarian economy into this service sector economy where men are doing work in an office that is absolutely indistinguishable from what a woman is doing at, a, you know, at, at, the, at the computer. Um, and so I think it's, I, honestly, I think it's more that that has created the, um, you know, the chaos for, you know, for, for young men today who, who can find masculinity nowhere but in video games or, or in movies. So I, I, think, I think many of the problems that you are correctly diagnosing you know, in the culture are coming from, from larger uh, sources. Yeah. Well, whatever our difference might be on the first question, we are uh, in total agreement. The masculinity, masculinity of men is departing and femininity of women is departing. Uh, l- let me ask you, I want to get back uh, to uh, one thing and then move on to many other subjects. Y- you spoke, a- as I do, of the fascism, you, s- you said the word fascism, and-, and-, and I think it's true, of the gay left. Where have you, a, a gay woman, received more hatred from, the, the religious right or the gay left? <laughs> And I'm, and I'm an atheist. Okay, yeah, I, I've received it entirely. Okay, from from the left, there's absolutely no doubt that they, that, they, that you know that the feminist establishment and the gay activist establishment tried to destroy me. Okay, and when I arrived on the scene with a 700-page book published by Yale University Press in 1990, uh, and without reading it, okay, all they heard was like certain remarks I made about this and that that deviated from the agenda. I mean, the the, the orchestrated campaign was not to be believed, but I fought back against it. Okay. 
and um, I, for the first time, they had an opponent, okay, who could return fire. My credentials are out there as a feminist and as a, you know, as an open gay long before theirs, okay. So I have outlasted them all, okay. They have, they've all faded, they've all fallen apart, and we, we have some, you know, very kind of sort of third-rate people running the feminist organizations and the gay activist ones and so on. But they really are, you know, are not much of a, uh, you know, of a threat to, um, to America. I just want to say then something to my listeners that I have said so often, but now you hear it from a person from a background that is different from mine. There is no comparison. There is no comparison. The gulf in the, num- the amount of hatred that comes from the right or the left in this country is almost immeasurable. It is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly from the left. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show. I'm speaking to Professor Camille Paglia. Her book is up at DennisPrager.com. Hello, my friends. You're listening to The Dennis Prager Show. Camille Paglia is my guest. She is a professor. And tell us a a, a bit, uh, just in a moment, about the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. I I think a lot of people are not familiar with it. Well, it was a fusion of a performing arts school with uh, its next door neighbor, the Philadelphia College of Art, and it's one of the. It was the very first, and not one of the few um, institutions in the world that teaches um, the, the visual arts and the performing arts together. So. Um, it's a perfect place for me because I don't get along at all with normal academics, but I have great rapport with artists and particularly people who work with their hands and, and um, woodworking and, and um, you know, metalworking and fibers and, and, and also with people who use their bodies to, ex- to express themselves like dancers and actors. Um, so it, 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 I am completely ostracized okay, from, the, um, you know, from the academic establishment in the U.S., despite the fact that I have a Ph.D. from Yale and, uh, you know, in, 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 in Enormous. No, no. You, you would think you would be. You would be the ideal. Yeah, right. You know, a lesbian, a feminist, right. and and a PhD from Yale. Yeah. You, you should be invited to every college in the country with those yeah. credentials. But but what happened? But are, are you invited at all to colleges? Uh, Occasionally, I will be yes, I will be invited by the history department, the, you know, the art department, never by by English departments. Okay, well, that's my PhD is in that. Okay, yeah, in, I, I, English I, I departments told, have yeah. been totally captured. But you see, but, but the way this happened was that. I began investigating these issues about sex and, and gender and so on before anyone else. So I was the only person, you know, a graduate student at the Yale Graduate School in the late 60s doing a, a topic on sex. So I began so early, and, I, and I'm also a scholar. I research. So my, 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 my ideology had already advanced far beyond that right. okay, of the primitive well, let's talk about the Let's talk about the arts. I have a theory which you probably won't share. So I, I'd like to know how you react. I think we both believe, and I, you, I, my knowledge is in music. I conduct orchestras. I am been involved in classical music since I was in high school. But I, I and I, I, I know peripherally the visual arts. But I, what I do know leads me to believe that in both music and in in art, there has been a a tremendous deterioration. Oh yes. Okay, yes, so indeed. I have two theories as, as to as to I have a few, but I, I want to. I just want you to react to them and tell me what yours are. One which I don't think you'll agree with is secularization. I think that when there when when there is no nothing higher than than the human, 
to aspire to or to write music for or to paint for, uh, then there's literally nothing uplifting. There's nothing to lift up to. So I think secularization is a factor, and I, I think academization uh, is a factor, mm-hmm. th- that the mm-hmm. academy took over the arts. What, what, do, what do you think? Okay, well, first of all, let me say uh, right away, um, I, I agree with you about the secularization. Okay? Even though I'm an atheist, I respect religion enormously and feel that, in fact, uh, the study of the world religion should be the core curriculum of every university in the world, uh, and, that, and that this was a dimension of the 1960s. How often forgot- do men hug you? Because I want to hug you. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm coming to Philadelphia to hug you, then I'm going back home. But you see, the 1960s wasn't just about politics, okay? There was this spiritual quest pattern in it. We were interested in Hinduism and Buddhism and the legacy of the beatniks and and so on. Uh, And so, yes, I agree with you. Absolutely. That is is what's going on in music, okay? There's this aspiration, this uh, sense of the metaphysical, of the cosmic, okay? It's completely gone now. You know, the the way humanities are taught in universities, again, everything is reduced to politics. They have no sense of, the, of a larger vision. However, let me add another, another thing you haven't mentioned in, in terms of the diminution of quality in the arts, which is absolutely there. Part of it also was the arrival of mass media. Now, I am a lover of mass media. That was actually quite controversial for me as a student at Yale graduate school because I loved Hollywood. I loved movies, TV, rock and roll, the Rolling Stones, you know, all that stuff. All right, so the thing is that now, today, young, aspiring artists have many more media to work in, okay, including video was just emerging in the you know, 1960s and so on. And so that's what's happened in, in a way, is that there's been this, um, you know, the, the practice of the traditional fine arts has been very vitiated, okay, by, by just the number of genres that, that are out there that are possible to express. But another thing is the banality of, of people's lives and in, in, you know, in in, in of the, you know, the depthlessness of their education. You know, what, what, what are they taught, what are kids taught, okay, in elementary school today, primary school, okay, they, what, their idea of art, okay, is do it yourself. You know, you're handed, you know, a, you know, a paint pot and some some construction paper, and sort of express your inner essence, your in, your inner creativity. There's there's no introduction to the great masterpieces of the history of the arts, and that's another thing that went out the window. The dead white European males were discarded. Of the great master because because obviously, if the whole history of the arts is nothing but 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 major geniuses who happen to be you know dead white European males, there had to be some sexist suppression someplace. So, and so, and so to make room in the curriculum for the identity politics, you had to throw out the dead white males. So what these people emerging okay, from Yale, from Harvard, they're, they're completely uncultivated. They know nothing about the great masterpieces of the, of, of, of the past. Okay? They, they, know, they know a heck of a lot about the ideologically you know, correct kinds of you know, um, uh, you know, multicolored uh, you know, curriculum that they've been fed. Wow. That's does that pervade your book? Does the, the, uh, yeah, what yes. I'm trying to show, okay, is that, that there are gr- very great works, okay, that everyone should know. But they and don't they, believe they, in they, great. There's no belief yeah, in great. They don't believe in great. Exactly. Greatness was demoted. I believe in yes. greatness. I believe yes. in geniuses, right. the history That's... of the arts. I believe. Do you know in... that the New York Times music critic? Uh, picked the 10 greatest composers who lived, and he said the reason that I didn't put Haydn in, but I did put Bartok in and Stravinsky, is that there were too many Austrian Germans of the same period in the list. <laughs> so it's not the 10 greatest composers. Yeah. It's a yeah. multicultural, multi-geographic. Yeah. Yeah.
Well, you're terrific, and I hope we speak again soon. It's been much too long, and we're going to push your book, and thank you. And I will give some final thoughts of my own when we return. It's a remarkable woman, Camille Paglia. And I'll tell you why she's remarkable when we come back. If you missed this the entire interview with Camille Paglia, and even if you heard it and want to play it for people, an independent-minded, lesbian, feminist, uh, it's worth playing for people. That's why we have Pragertopia. It's $5 a month. It's $5 away from free. <laughs> That's the way I now put it. Wow! That's a low price! Yes, it is a low price. It, it's $5 away from free. That's how cheap it is. But it is very worth it if you like ideas and think that they can change minds. And it's a, available. It's a subscription. You just download the show. PragerTopia.com. The reason that I have uh, such admiration for the woman is that she is independent of the herd. The left is a herd. It's what it is. You, you don't have to think through any position. You just feel and emote and identify with all that is good. You hate the right, and it ends the issue. There is no depth of thought, as uh, she made clear. Plus, this was uh, one of my favorite moments of the interview was, so here you are, you're an outspoken uh, gay woman, feminist, atheist, so where do you get the most hatred from, the religious right or the gay left? She says, there's no comparison. I don't get it. I don't get hatred from the religious right. But the left, uh, be, which is filled with hate, accuses the right, like talk radio, hate radio. So you ask anybody who says hate radio, so who, who, who's pushing this hate? So they'll say Rush Limbaugh, because it's the only name they know generally because they, they dare not listen. Uh, okay, have you ever listened? Uh, I, just, I just know, you know, it's hate radio. Can you give an example? Uh, and, uh, or becoming more, more and more powerful. Politico had a huge article on Salem Radio, the, whom I work for, as, as a powerful force on the right. And so you see some of the blurbs, hate, hate radio, hate, hate radios. Did you ever hear any? Who's a hater? But it, all it is is a mask for all the hatred that emanates from there. But even a beyond all politics, I don't trust herds. I don't. I am afraid of crowds. And so uh, I trust the Camille Paglias of the world. Okay, my friends, this is the Dennis Prager Show. Don't go away. <laughs>